0: This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible, and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So as the children are making their way out, even in their lesson, they they heard these connections. Uh, from Isaiah, Isaiah speaking of Christ, Christ calling Matthew, a lesson they'd heard, uh, these reminders of needing to listen, uh, and how wonderful it is when, when children listen. You know what's even more wonderful? <laughs> when, I like, yeah, see, someone knew where I was headed when grown-ups listen. Yeah, I want to see someone actually, you know, they, kinda, they get it. Like, it's really amazing. We always talk about kids not listening. <laughs> Man, <laughs> grown-ups, we're a funny bunch. Uh, I think we exhaust a lot of our, uh, our attention on kids, as if kids are like the source of, pro- kids don't listen. I mean, you should just get a room of adults together and see if they were listening when like, there's a staff update. You're like, you'll need to use some new form just to get it so we can pay you. We want to pay you. You'll just need to use this new form and sign it. First paycheck comes around. I didn't get paid on the 15th. I, did, did you use the form that everyone's using? Well, no. That is why we did not pay you. Please, use the new form. We will get it to you. We will expedite it as quickly as we can. Uh, but as adults, we just—we, you know, if we're honest, we just listen to what we want to listen to. We don't say it that way, but that's what we do. We just kind of cloud out the rest. So this morning, what I want you to do as we step into the prophets is get ready. There's a lot the prophets have to say, but the crazy thing is to understand the prophets, you have to, yeah, yeah, we're back to that. You have to listen to them. The prophets can only speak to you something new if you're willing to listen to what the prophet's going to say. So we're still in the Old Testament, and for some of you, that's old. I mean, I don't want the old one. I'm waiting for September when we can get into this New Testament stuff. Uh, Well, the New Testament needs the Old Testament to actually inform it. So what I want to share with you a little bit, uh, and I talked in Sunday school about this, uh, there's a group of people that are real important to you that you never knew. They are called the Mazarites. Anyone ever hear, outside of Sunday school, anyone ever hear the word the Masoretes before today in your life? One or two that, like, maybe I did, perhaps. So the Masoretes had helped to record and sustain the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, So it is the Hebrew uh, Bible that is used today by the the Jewish people throughout the world, those who are reading Hebrew, uh, is largely drawn from what's called the Masoretic text. Uh, So this is the group that copied and, and made sure that things were all set. And they carried forward. Now, I bring them up because there's three pieces that the Masoretes refer to the Old Testament. Anyone ever heard the term the Tanakh? Okay, a couple more head nods there. Others are like, Tanakh? No, not familiar with it. So the Tanakh is three things. It is the Torah. You guys with me on Torah? Like over there? Okay, good. So you got one of the three. So the Torah, the first five books, or the ones Moses records, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah. Uh, The next piece is actually called the... Nevim, uh, which is a word that means the prophets, and then the Ketuvim. The Ketuvim is the writings. Now, some of you are like, prophets and the writings. You just finished the writings. The writings were Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the writings. But this idea of it being a Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevim, and the Ketuvim, Jesus actually refers in them this way. This is why I bring it up to you. When Jesus will say, well, do you not know what was written in the books of Moses the prophets, and the writings. So this is why the message actually held that. So I'm just letting you know, you're jumping now into a new section for us. And what I mean is you're going into the prophets. You're going into what they would have called the Nevim, uh, which is a Hebrew word, which means, yes, in English, you guys know this, the prophets. That's all I mean. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just letting you know some of these things of even how Jesus spoke. He spoke that way because it's how things were recorded, how as they were facing that from Genesis to Malachi, they referred to them as the writings the prophets, and the books of Moses, or the Torah, those words of instruction. So when it began, the whole story to kind of get us up to the prophets starts with Adam and Eve, and they are there to tend to God's creation. That's what they're entrusted to do, tend to God's creation. But then in Genesis 3, open rebellion happens. They rebel against what God's doing, and then this thing called corruption steps into us. Uh, In church, we use this real fancy word for it, right? Sin. How often do you use the word sin outside of church? interesting. You just, we don't. Like, <laughs> you never see someone do something wrong, like when someone shoplifts? You ever like? I remember the first time as a kid I saw someone steal a CD. I know you're like, CDs? I remember when it was, yes, my brother, his first thing was an LP. I get that. Uh, but it was a CD that was my first shoplifter, where I saw the guy take it and put it in, it, and I did not yell out, sinner! Like, I didn't yell that. Instead, I was scared to death going, what in the world do we do? And I'm like, security. Yes, that's what they must do. And then there was the running and the chasing. And then you discover like, hey, you know, maybe we'll get it back. But there was this piece of how it is that things are going to unfold. So it breaks. But the Nevim, the prophets that we're looking at this morning, uh, the centerpiece of the Tanakh, which the Masoretes record for you, is the prophets. So you need the prophets to know what's actually going to happen. How many of you played backyard football? You didn't ever need to play high school. Just you, male, female, did you ever throw a football around? Do you ever remember these kind of things where they, they pull you in and the quarterback? Uh, for us, it was a guy named Mr. Jim. He was my neighbor behind He was like our all-time quarterback. Jim Boyer was quarterback. And you'd get there and Jim would pull us up and he'd take his hand. This is how it always works, right? This is like the secret playbook of backyard football. He's like, all right, so this is the shed. You're going to loop past the shed. And you'll turn and you'll just turn. And then it was always, there was always one or two in the neighborhood where you'd just look at us and he would go, Run, just run. I'll hit you if you're open. And then there was the classic piece uh, that kind of plays for us in the prophet. If you weren't listening to Mr. Jim, it was like, evidently clear the moment he said hike, right? Because you did this. You just stopped. And the guy covering you was like this Sweet. Ball not going to him. Evidently clear. Well, see, the prophets are trying to speak to you to let you know what play God's going to do. But you actually have to listen to the prophet. To understand backyard football, I had to listen to Mr. Jim. If I didn't, I was standing on the line going, I wonder if I'm in this play. Now, some of you are like, hey, I didn't do that at all. How about dinner? You guys remember being kids just playing with us in the backyard or somewhere in your house, and your parents would call you for dinner? One of two things would happen. You'd either sprint up and trip on the stairs... Or you would yell this back, not yet. I'm finishing something. Now, as an adult who now welcomes people to the table, I've learned one of my short fuse things is when the table's ready, get there. Like the meal, the one you did not make, it is ready. I'm just wrapping stuff up. No, see, you're not. (laughs) Wrapping up would have already had you at the table. Now, I bring this up to remind you, the prophets are calling people to listen, and there we are, standing on the line, going, man, I should have listened to Mr. Jim, or we're downstairs in the basement going, i got to build one more Lego piece, when God's trying to call you to get you to the table. So the prophets do three things for us. Uh, The prophets give God's message of promise, they give God's message of correction, and God's message of deliverance. So promise, Correction and deliverance. Most of us only want to hear what, though? Deliverance. We just want the deliverance piece, which means we're confused when God does deliverance in a way we weren't expecting because you weren't listening when He promised. Uh, and then when something goes wrong, you kind of wonder and go, well, that didn't work out right because you didn't listen to God's piece of correction. So we get confused when we don't listen. You got to hear what the prophets are actually saying. So what I want you to do now uh, is consider how interestingly we use this book. Now, a lot of people, when it comes to the Bible, say, I don't get it. I don't understand the prophets. I don't understand the Old Testament. So do you know what their response is if I don't understand this book? They don't read it. I don't understand the Bible, Pastor. I don't get it. What's the last book of the Bible you read? That's a great question, Pastor. Thanks for asking it. All right, good. I'm glad we're having this conversation. Pastor, what did we read last week? Well, you know, we read some from the Song of Solomon, and then we we read from the Gospel of John. Well, then that's the last thing I read. Well, kind of when it was read to me. That's what I read. See, God's inviting you to actually engage with this text. Now, imagine if you were to do this in the rest of your life, when you don't understand something, you would disconnect from it. So we're going to have a test this week. It's going to be on calculus, right? So it's a calculus test. Now, I remember, I had people tell me that. I'm having a calculus test. So do you know what I would do before that calculus test? I would find the person that knew calculus in my dorm, and we would study calculus. I watched no night show that night. There wasn't wasn't even streaming to do at that point. There is no streaming. There's a better world. And I would sit there, and I'd study calculus very, very late. And then I understood calculus, because I had a desire to want to know it. What's interesting is most people want to know what God's saying in their life and he's got this open book to let you know what God's up to and talk to you about his promise, his correction, and his deliverance. You ask them what they're reading and they say, nothing. I'm actually not reading anything. See, this is why as we read through the books of the Bible this year, whether you were engaged with us and you kind of step back because some of the books got long, that's why I've got focused reading. So in the back of your bullet, I want you to stick to it because it makes a difference. God wants to speak to you. Uh, writing. It's funny that I like, write sermons now each week because if you were to ask people who had to read my papers uh, or have read any of my papers, I have a big problem in writing. Uh, it's called passive voice. I use the passive voice all the time. Uh, uh, I got real familiar with the writing center at my college. I mean, real familiar. <laughs> and they got real familiar with me. I'm like, all right, make sure the pen's ready. Woo! All right, they get ready. And they just like circle it. And I'm like, standard? They're like, yep, standard ops. Just kind of get those points. I'm like, just 30 this time? Just 30. I'm like, oh, okay, good. good. We're getting somewhere. But I knew if I wanted something to get better, I had to actually engage with someone who could help me. Enter the Navim, the prophets. The prophets aren't there just to tell the people of Israel you're wrong. They're there to tell the people God's got your back, his promise. He's going to correct you if you don't. But if you listen to him and relent and come back, he's going to do what? Deliver you. Because God hasn't given up on you. Now, this is kind of one of those moments where I told you we kind of walked through. So if you've got a pen at the right or you just want to jot stuff down, this is something to kind of carry you through the prophets. I'm serious. I don't normally talk about pen moments, but it's something to consider. Uh, a professor of mine named Reed Lessing, uh, who was a former professor at uh, Concordia Seminary, wrote this about how to read the prophets. So I, I just want to put this in your head. So something you have to think about. Every prophet we read. So we're doing a little more introduction today than we are on other days. First thing. When you first read a prophet, you need to know this. You have got to know Old Testament people, events, and institutions the prophet's talking about. You have to know that. You've got to know its context. Like, to know Isaiah, you have to know that we're dealing with the northern kingdom, dealing from Jerusalem with Samaria, 18 years before the entire capital is going to be destroyed. You've got to know that. Because if you just read Isaiah, you're like, he doesn't seem real happy with people. No, he's not. Because he's warning them, you're about to be destroyed. And it turns out they, yeah, they are. Like, the destruction actually happens. So when you read it in that light, you're going, man, you know, they should have listened to Isaiah. To which Isaiah said, I know. And then he kept speaking. So he speaks after 722 in Samaria Falls, and then he starts warning Judah. Hey, guys, it could happen to you. Now, he doesn't preach all the way through to whether or not, because uh, Judah's not going to fall for about 80 years after Isaiah's prophecies over other prophets, other of the Navim, will pick up there. So that's the first. Look back and know the context. You've got to know its context, Old Testament people, settings, events, and institutions. Here's the second piece. And this is one where most of you are like, I never, ever thought about this. You guys remember reading the Torah earlier this year? And some of you are like, yeah, um, there were portions that were really like lots of laws and rules. Remember those? Because I remember the conversation we had. It was kind of like, uh, there was a lot of rules and laws. Well, here's an interesting thing to remember. In the Pentateuch, those first five books, the Torah, there are what are called Pentateuchal blessings as well as curses. So if you do things well, things go well for you. Remember the fourth commandment? Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you will have long life. Yeah, Jesus even goes, it's the first commandment with a promise. Some of you are like, oh, that's what I missed. Had I honored my mother and father? Yeah, okay, I'm seeing that now. Thanks, Lord. But again, listen to it. So these Pentateuchal blessings and curses, and here's the two places you can look. Leviticus 26, and we're not going to dig it. just want you to know this. In Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, you actually get these blessings and curses. So when you read the prophets, they're going to draw from Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 to tell you, if you're wrong, this is going to happen. If you're right, this is going to happen. And we're going to play one of these through this morning so you can kind of see how this plays out to see where the blessings and curses. Because it turns out God doesn't really surprise people. He just does what he said. But it surprises us because we weren't what? <laughs> we, just, we weren't listening. Are you serious? God actually flooded the whole earth? Yeah, he actually told Noah he was going to do that. And then he did. So God actually wiped out the Egyptians? because they they didn't treat his people right? Yeah, he does. He uses Assyria to do that in 605. Carchemish, go look it up. There's a battle. You can learn about it. You're not going to see a lot of Bible verses in it, but it happens. Egypt gets destroyed. So there's these reminders. God, God does what he says, just not always when you think. But he actually will get to it. Third piece, when you're reading the prophets, don't always jump to Jesus first. We'll get there. But don't jump to Jesus first, because prophets speak on two levels. They speak about things that are to come in the near term as well as what is to come far. They actually are prophesying on two levels, so that you could read Isaiah and actually like, be his peer, like living with him, like, hey, there's Isaiah, he's having dinner. And then you hear Isaiah kind of speaking to you, and you hear Isaiah say, hey, you know, repent, come back. The God wants to deliver you, he wants to set you free, and then you're living long enough to see Samaria collapse. And you go, yeah, Isaiah, you were right, man. God did send you the word. Like, that level's real. But Isaiah also speaks on a whole other level, the Isaiah 65, which was our first reading this morning, that God's going to what? Restore and recreate all creation. That's the stuff of what's going to come and will find its ultimate fulfillment in the day that's to come. So don't always jump to Jesus first. You got to know that the prophets are actually speaking to the people in that day, but they're also talking about anticipating what is to come. And that's that final piece I want to reiterate. you got to make sure that you apply what the prophets are saying to the ultimate consummation, meaning the ultimate thing that's going to happen is when Jesus does what? When he returns in his full glory. So a lot of what the prophets say aren't going to see its full completion or fulfillment until Christ comes again. So a lot of what the prophets say leaves you with like, oh, but I'm not there yet. I get it, but it's not there. It kind of leaves you a little bit back. So I told you we were going to try this on for size. So here we go. Isaiah 5. So if you want to jump there, this is one chapter before Isaiah 6. You're like, we know that. Here's why I bring up Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 is the here I am, Lord, send me. It's the throne room. Uh, it's the vision of, of Isaiah seeing Jesus' full resplendent glory. So we're just one chapter ahead of that. That's why I'm just trying to set it for you. Uh, you'll hear the choir is going to sing a beautiful setting of it. Uh, we heard in, in a Bible class another, so this, the here I am text comes up so much as Isaiah 6. So here you are, Isaiah 5. You've got Isaiah speaking about a vineyard. So he's talking about this vineyard of how God's caring for it. And the vineyard, yes, of course, is talking about the people. not just talking about uh, grapes. So some of you are like, I like grapes. Okay, so do my kids. I like grapes. But here we go. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. Hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. So what you've got is somebody who knows what they're doing. They've actually set a watchtower. They make sure people stay away from it. They prep the round. Everything they can do, they've done everything right to make it yield grapes. So he's done everything he can to tend to it, but it yielded wild grapes. Uh, Dr. Lessing, I was sharing, just kind of had some insights on this. He goes, yeah, the, the better translation of, of wild grapes is uh, stinking grapes. Because wild grapes has you thinking like, Oh, they're beautiful and wild. They stink. Like, wild, wild grapes are, are like stinking grapes. So the English just kind of, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just sharing that it, it doesn't give you the full body of what the Hebrew is actually trying to tell you. Uh, they're looking for grapes. You're not going to make wine out of it. Let me put you that way. Some of you are like, I like grapes. Yeah, not those. <laughs> you're not going to like those. You ever have the bottle where you open it and you go, ah. It can even be like apple juice you forgot to put back in the refrigerator. Go. Oh. It's done. Or, you know, milk. We all know milk, but that's an even, that, that smells even more pungent. Uh, see? That's why we didn't want to bring it up. So here we have it. They're looking for this. Now, I told you, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. When we go to look, we need to look at Pentateuchal blessings and curses. So, unfortunately for us to kind of knock us uh, or shake us awake, we're going to look at one of those curses. Because Isaiah 5, 6 continues in this illustration of the vineyard. So because it's not yielding actual grapes, it's yielding stinking grapes, Isaiah continues talking about this vineyard. He says, I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. And I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was one of the Pentateuchal curses. You don't listen to me, you get no rain. You don't listen to me, you don't get your food. See, God told them these things. So this is what's interesting. When you read Isaiah, you go, oh, so God's just doing what he said in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 about blessings and curses. Yes, he's just running his playbook. He's Jim Boyer saying, run out and turn around and, and turn and I'll hit you if you're open. Some people are so surprised as if, like, God's changing it every day. Like, well, it's 2019. I need to hear, need to hear new God. You know, there, there is no new God. You need to hear the same God who's been speaking across millennia saying the same thing again and again, and we just have to do what? Get this stuff out of our ears. Or you have to stop letting a person have the front audience to your life who's not leading you to God, who's leading you somewhere else and taking you astray. See, the presence of no rain against no surprise. Now, of the 66 chapters in Isaiah... Jesus then becomes the interpretive key. See, so as we live now in this New Testament reality that we know Jesus was born in in Bethlehem, we know that he is there, that he will actually spend time in Nazareth, he'll be in Galilee, all things that Isaiah actually tells us uh, will take place, uh, we get several images, four to be specific, of servant songs. Isaiah tells us about this person who's going to come. And as he does so, one of them is in Isaiah 53. And you know this because we, throughout all of Lent, had those two banners that listed. And whether or not you read them, you'll be like, oh, that's what they said. Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Now, some of you are like, well, the banner didn't say all that. I know it didn't say all of it. It said by his, he's pierced for our transgressions and by his wounds we are healed. It's just to frame in Lent. We're served by the greatest servant ever, the servant who is humble, the one who is actually what? Isaiah tells us in chapter 6, he's holy, holy, holy as the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. A whole earth. Isn't this amazing? You don't have to acknowledge God for God to be there. You know that, right? God will be there whether or not your next-door neighbor thinks he is or not. Being an atheist doesn't remove God. It may remove him from your thought process, but it does not remove him. Do not give atheists more credit than they actually deserve. They, they will have their reward. Or in the case of Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, they will find out whether or not they meet one of the Pentateuchal blessings or curses. And again, I remind this, you're like, whoa, this is really weird. You're talking deep about blessings and curses. This is what God told us. But in Christ, we get something better, right? He says, you didn't have to live up to everything. You don't have to be feared of the curse. Because I am going to take all the curses on my shoulders. I am going to be the Holy One of Israel. I will be the one who will be pierced. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You just need to listen. (laughs) You mean read all of Isaiah? There's 66 chapters, Pastor, 66. Do you have any idea how busy I was? We all had 24 hours. And I'm not saying it to be heavy on you. I'm saying it so that you hear God wants to speak to you. Sometimes when you're so busy, God's word will actually bring peace. Even though at times it feels like it's bringing strife, it reminds you God speaks to a world that's as broken as your life is. And I hope you hear that it's good news. God speaks to a world that's as broken as your life. Sometimes you just don't give God the chance to actually speak into it because you say, I mean, where would I start? You've got a whole congregation that wants to start with you every single week reading a book. And read a little piece and come in and be fed and realize God doesn't want you to go through this thing alone. God actually wants to carry you to move forward. So here's an interesting thing. Anyone want to take a stab? Well, I'll let you take a stab at it. And I'll tell you it's not in the thousands because I don't want to set you up for failure. How many hundred, or dozens maybe, just to kind of make sure you're right, of times is Isaiah quoted in the New Testament? 250 times Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament. So if you're wondering, why are we excited about 250 times? The only person that's actually quoted more is one other book in the Old Testament. Anyone want to take a stab? Psalms. Psalms is the only one that's actually quoted more. Isaiah, 250 times. Now listen to this, 46 of those times are the Gospels. 37 times are the Pauline letters. 30 come in the book of Revelation. So for people who get scared about reading the book of Revelation, i got news for you. Just read Isaiah first. That whole scary, like, oh, what's happening in in Revelation chapter 4 and 5? Read Isaiah, because Revelation 4 and 5 is the throne room image that's Isaiah 6. It turns out, like, God actually wanted you to read the entirety of Scripture, and you'd actually walk out going, this is awesome. See, the more you know about the picture and and the severity of how Isaiah connects all things together, because this prophet really sits in the middle, because he's sharing what the Old Testament blessings and curses are and moving them into the New Testament in ways that no other prophet does In in its magnitude of quotations, you start to get... A whole lot of strength when you actually read into what's happening. Now, I want to take us, as we start to draw to a close this morning, all the way to the end. So jump with me, Isaiah 65. So Isaiah 65, 17 and 18. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. So I started with this, this blessings and curses. And for some of you, are like, man, get out of the Old Testament. I'm scared. Well, Isaiah 65 is reminding you what it is to be in Christ. Because Isaiah tells us, even in the midst of the strife and the concern, even in the midst of the prophet telling you, here's God's promise, here's God's correction, here's his deliverance. This is deliverance. This is the sweet stuff. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And a bunch of you dealing with some stuff right now said, sweet, praise God. But the prophet goes on, he says, But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, for her people to be a gladness. He's talking about recreating that place, the Jerusalem, Zion, the city on the hill. These are images the prophet's using to say he's rebuilding and restoring what was broken in Genesis chapter 3. The perfect relationship that Adam and Eve had with God, they threw out for a lie lie was, did God really say? Remember, that was Satan's big deception. Did he really say? That's all it took. Think of the times you were led astray as a child when a friend of yours said, would your parents really mind if we? Good things normally don't happen after that phrase. Do you think your parents will mind if we? Again, it's a red flag moment. Do you think the boss will mind if we take these things home and take them from the office? Again, also probably a moment where you should really check in first if that's not your regular trend. God says, I'm going to recreate and make it new. He's created Jerusalem to be new for you. And you, brothers and sisters, have that new creation at this hour. Because when God claimed you in the font, when God washed you with waters, he connected you so that God no longer looks at you for correction, God looks at you as one who is corrected, one who is righteous. You know when God looks at you, do you know who he sees? He sees Jesus because you are clothed in his righteousness. That correction or rebuke already took place, and it took place on a cross outside of Jerusalem. We would do well to stop putting ourselves on the cross. We carry a lot of guilt in our lives. God tells you, get off the cross because I'm not there anymore. And then we start doing the woe is me and we climb into the tomb. Get out of the tomb. God's not there either. God wishes for you and for me that we would have joy and gladness at this hour, on this day, forevermore. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person on behalf of everyone at Jordan. We hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas In the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.